Good morning, church. Uh, Let's start with a prayer. Father God, it is incredibly good to be here today. Lord, I pray that I am simply a microphone for your voice, that your message comes across clear, and that hearts are stirred to be more like you. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So I am a huge fan of the game of football. When I was in high school, I was on the football team. I was a defensive end, six foot three, 185 pounds. But that was in Texas. And in Texas, everything is bigger, including the human beings. So I was always going against guys who weighed over 300 pounds. Needless to say, I didn't get a whole lot of playing time giving up over 100 pounds to my competitors. I ended up playing this position that I call tail end back. Maybe you've heard of this, maybe you haven't. A tail end back is when you're on the sideline, the game's going on, you tap coach on the shoulder. Coach, coach, can I go in? He turns, he sees his 185 pound defensive end, and he says, Campbell, get your tail end back on the bench. <laughs> so no, my gifts, no matter how much I loved football, did not get me on the field on Friday night, did not get me under the lights very much. Uh, the, the parents in the stands didn't know my name unless their kid was my friend, right? But I did have gifts that were well used for that football team. Every Wednesday was our last padded practice of the week, and I got to stand up and pray over my team. This is at a public school. I had great conversations with my teammates all the time. One specifically was my friend Caleb. Caleb and I, I, we were acquaintances, right? We didn't hang out a lot, but football brought us together. I was a senior, he was a sophomore. Um, and he was already on varsity and already starting, right? Our gifts were very different. Um, But we would have these wonderful conversations because Caleb wasn't a Christian. Caleb's only conversations about the church or about Christ were with me sometimes after practice. But those conversations were really, really good. I have no idea what, you know, where his faith ended up after I left, but God used my gifts in a profound way to engage with Caleb. Similar to that, church, in a football team, you have a center who has to snap the ball directly back to the quarterback. The offensive line has to block. The quarterback has to make a good pass, and the receiver has to catch. Everybody has to use their gifts. In the same way, church, we have all been given gifts that we have to use because we're all part of one body, we're all part of one team, and we have a common goal in mind. So the church needs you. We need you to, do, to use your gifts doesn't matter if you're a preacher, if you're a prayer warrior, if you're a spreadsheet maker, whatever your gift is, use it to the best of your abilities. This morning, we're going to look at how when you exercise your gifts in genuine love, it allows others to experience the kingdom of God. So let's take a a look back at verse 6. It starts, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So last week, Pastor David gave me quite the alley-oop toss, and so I'm supposed to slam it home talking about the Greek right here. So the word, the word for grace in the Greek would be charis. And then the word for gift that's used here is charisma. So grace or charis is grace received, and charisma is grace expressed. 
you can see how the root word of the gift is grace. So every gift that you've been given by God was appointed to you only by the grace of our loving Father. So then, that invites us to extend that word a little bit further. If we have received charis, and we've been given charisma, gifts, congratulations, Baptists, we are all charismatics. Right? Yeah, let's go. I'm loving the energy, right? Absolutely. Right? We have been blessed with the Holy Spirit, these gifts by the Holy, that is just working inside of us as members of the body. So then, church, you're encouraged to use them. What happens to the body if you don't use your muscles? You get atrophy, right? The body starts to decay. It doesn't matter if I used to be able to do, say, 100 pull-ups, which I could never do. But if I don't exercise those muscles, I will lose that gift. It doesn't matter what gift I was given if I don't continue to exercise my body. That's true for me and that's true for all of us. We have all received these gifts and then we are called to reflect back that glory by loving God and loving his creation. You are uniquely gifted and situated to benefit the community around you and beyond. You weren't given these gifts to hide them or to overanalyze them. Paralysis by analysis, right? You're called to just step forth. Be the body of Christ and do the works of God. Now you might be asking, but Justin, but what does it look like to use them well? Luckily, Romans 12 continues as God goes. Uh, So let's look through how God wants us to use these gifts together. In verse 6 it says, If your gift is prophecy, prophesy in proportion to our faith. Now, prophecy doesn't mean like fortune-telling alone. That can be part of what prophecy is. But prophecy is a more well-rounded way of saying divine truth-telling. To prophesy in proportion to our faith means that you're prophesying or speaking a word from the Lord that is analogous or on the same path or in the same vein or still in the truth of what you already know about God, what faith in God has already been unveiled to you. So then for us today, the best way to know if the word that's coming from the Lord is truly from the Lord is if it is still in proportion to our faith, which is rooted in scripture. So then if you want to prophesy, it has to pass the scripture test. And if you hear a prophecy, it needs to be able to pass the scripture test. In my own scripture reading, this is made very clear in 1 Kings during the time of Jeroboam. There's this prophet who he goes to give this voice of prophecy And then God tells him, when you return home, don't turn around and don't eat and don't drink. Okay, simple enough. So he's returning home and he stops under some shade. And then there's this poser who has saddled up a donkey and has gone and he sees this prophet and and this poser says to him, man, he says, I have had as an angel of the Lord has spoken to me and you are to return to me, strike one, so that you can eat and so you can drink. The three exact commands God had told this prophet not to do. But yet the prophet gets up and he returns with the poser. Now when I read this, I thought, ooh, that poser's gonna get it, right? He lied saying that the word of the Lord had spoken to him, that he had a message from God himself. Lo and behold, it's the prophet who gets in trouble because he should have known better because he knows the word of the Lord. So, if you hear a word of the Lord, you're going to be held accountable if you're led astray because you have been told what is true about God through Scripture. So, if you are a prophet, prophesy, get out there, do it, and do it in proportion to your faith 
something that goes in analogous or in the same vein as what scripture has already taught us. And those of us who are receiving prophecy, being told the word of the Lord, we gotta know our scriptures and it's gotta pass the scripture test. As the text continues, it says if your gift is in service and our serving. So with how specific the rest of all this text is, we shouldn't think of this as just like any time you like hold the door open for somebody or something like that. Um, this is more specifically to how you're serving the body, how you're serving the congregation. So these are ministry leaders. These are the diaconate, the elders, right? These are our volunteers, the people that are serving in ministry areas. So Paul is saying to those who have been called to serve in the local congregation, you ought to use your gifts just for the sake of serving others, not for a pat on the back, not for voting power over different areas that you want to have your little fingers in, right? Just for the sake of serving. You serve and you're serving. Compare this to Christ, right? The son of man who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Anything short of that is not serving for the sake of serving. He healed and he told them to keep it a secret. He was bringing people from the dead. If Jesus can be humble in the way that he serves, doing his profound works, surely we can do the same. So if your gift is in serving, do it for the sake of serving. As the text continues, it says, the one who teaches in his teaching. This means teaching for the glory of God, not for the glory of me. If you have received the gift of teaching, help the body see what you see. That means you you have seen God in a way that you can provide the lens to help us see it more clearly. Help us see God more clearly. A great teacher in the Christian faith is C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis has this great quote where he's talking about a poet, but it still applies to teachers. It says, I just look where he, meaning the poet, looks and not turn around to face him. I must not make of him a spectacle, but a pair of spectacles. So a teacher teaching in faith gives all the more glory to God and very little glory to him or herself. It's actually a great litmus test. If people start really singing your praises, you're probably not giving enough glory to God as a teacher. So if your gift is teaching though, teach, help us see God. Be a pair of spectacles, don't be a spectacle. You get, uh, sorry, edify the body, bless the church, even at the sake of yourself. As the text continues, it says, the one who exhorts in his exhortation. Exhorting is a gift that is rooted in the activity of urging Christians to live out the truth of the gospel. If you want to see a really good example of a Christian exhorting other Christians, read Romans 12. Read Romans Paul is writing this profound letter being delivered by Phoebe and it is oh, like especially where we're at right now. The, God is telling us how to use the gifts that he's given you. How to exercise and how to recognize your part as a body of Christ using gifts so that you can bless the body. Returning the glory back to God. And the church in Rome is going through a whole lot. A whole lot of persecution and it's only going to get worse in just a couple years after receiving this. But this text carries them through This letter straight for them is an exhortation. So if your gift is an exhortation, bless and edify the body with that exhortation. The text continues. The one who contributes in generosity. Similar to other gifts, this means to give for the sake of giving. 
right? It's from the heart. It's from, it's from generosity. It's, it's a desire to see other people not suffering. Not done for voting power. Not done for a pat on the back. For your name on a plaque. None of that stuff. I'm giving out of the sake of generosity. Contributing out of your abundance to the one who is lacking. A generosity rooted in the fact that A, all that you have was given to you by God in the first place, and B, in the kingdom of God, no one is in need. So to those that contribute, do it for the sake of generosity. Help others experience that abundance that the Lord has given you. The text continues, the one who leads with zeal. Again, Paul here is talking to those who are leading a ministry. I put my tablet on because I get amped up about this one. Um, but Paul says here, um, when he talks about doing these, um, uh, this, this phrasing about leading with zeal, he uses it two other times. He uses it in his first letter to the church in Thessalonica and in his first letter to Timothy. Both times he's speaking to elders and talking about elders. So this is specifically to those who have a place of leadership in the church, those who lead with zeal. So then, my elders, our diaconate, my fellow pastors, recognize that the, the, the job that we've been given is too important for us not to step in with zeal. How can we not be excited about the position we have been given? How can we not get pumped up about helping other people experience the love that God has already shown us and walking alongside them in their lives and discipling them? How, if, if you don't have zeal for that, I, I, don't, I don't understand. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't get it. Maybe you haven't received that fully, right? That should give you zeal. And so, to the, and this is speaking to me, right? This is also speaking to Amir. If we are in a position of leadership in the church, we have to lead with zeal, with excitement, with encouragement. As the text continues, it says, The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And yet again, these acts of mercy aren't just any time that you kind of forgive somebody off to the side or something. This is specifically in the body. This is a calling to a few Christians, not to all. This then is about doing acts of mercy for the vulnerable, such as the sick, the widows, people who are in prison, visiting those people. Acts of mercy means infusing hope in times of despair. Acts of mercy flow out of people who have received mercy. Acts of mercy never come with judgment or shame about how that person got into that situation. It is not victim blaming. It is eagerly and cheerfully extending a hand out of friendship, of community, of love. So if your gifts in, are in these areas of acts of mercy, praise God and exercise this gift with cheerfulness. By using these gifts that we just talked about, you are exercising them and allowing others to experience the kingdom of heaven. Those who are in want are no longer, needs are met, people are relationally tied. This is the kingdom of heaven. The text continues in verse 9 with this profound sentence. Let love be genuine. Let love be void of hypocrisy. Let love be authentic. Let love be real. And yet again, we look to Christ. What does Christ tell us about love? How, where, where, where else would we look, right? Christ who was willing to give up everything and die for them and forgive them and do the same for you. That's what love looks like. There's this phrase that I've been hearing a past little bit from Christians who say, I'm called to love you or them, 
but I'm not called to like you or them. Church, that is a terrible statement. (laughs) If you are the ambassador of God's love, recognizing your place as a loved creation of God, and you are supposed to show other people what that looks like, if you are telling them I'm told to love you and not like you, you have fundamentally misunderstood how God feels about you. You are not hard to love. You're not hard to like. God hasn't looked down and said, I love them because it's in my nature, but goodness, it is hard to like them. Never. It's always with joy in his eyes and love in his heart that he looks on you as a beloved child of his. So then similarly, church, let love be genuine to what you've already received and experienced. Help others know that they are also loved by God. How will anybody know they're loved by God if his people won't do it first? You are the ambassadors of God's love. So let love be genuine, church. Exercise these gifts. Let people experience the kingdom of God. The text continues here. Abhor what is evil, hold fast, to what is good. Church, this little section here that we're about to read through is exactly what the kingdom of heaven looks like in its fullness. So this exhortation from Paul is encouraging us to live as members of the kingdom of earth, but knowing that our citizenship is truly in heaven and we play by different rules. So we abhor what is evil and we hold fast to what is good. Of course we do. We're Christians. We are excited about what God's already doing. We don't want any part of of evil or death or decay in here. We push it aside because we know that God isn't about those things. And we hold fast to what is good. We love one another with brotherly affection, outdoing one another and showing honor. Because in the kingdom of heaven, it's not about me, it's about we. It's not about what I can do. I'm not trying to climb a ladder of success within the church. First of all, that doesn't make any sense. And second of all, because I'm all about you recognizing your role as a son or daughter of Jesus Christ, of God, brothers and sisters with Jesus Christ. It continues, do not be slothful out, oh, yeah, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord. This is the same exhortation that came earlier specifically to ministry leaders, but it's true for all of us. If you have received the grace and the goodness of God, it should get you excited. Because we don't have to walk around timidly, we don't have to walk around slothfully, because we know what the Lord's already done for us, and we know what he's doing for us, and we know what he's going to do for us. And we want as many people to be a part of it as possible. It should be enticing. And we serve the Lord. It continues, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Of course we rejoice in hope, because this is a hope that cannot fail. We've already been told what this world is coming to, and I can't wait. We rejoice in hope and we're patient in tribulation because going through something so short term and so temperamental, no matter how bad it is, we know that the glory on the other side far exceeds what we're going through right now. And we're constant in prayer because relationship with God is what this is all about. The kingdom of God is right relationship with all of creation, all of the cosmos and its creator. Finally, yet again for the first time since the Garden of Eden. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Of course, this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like because we know in the kingdom, no one will be in want. 
No one will be lacking. No one will be higher than the other. Of course not. Why would we invite people into something to say, well, you're kind of late to the game now, so you're probably going to have to be like over there, and I'll be over here, but I'm excited to see you every now and then when our paths cross. No, we're all in the same thing together. So, of course, we contribute to the needs of the saints, and we seek to show hospitality because we want so badly for us all to be together. We bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. When you recognize your brother or sister as exactly that, even when they're in the wrong, even when they're hurting, you know that you have received a blessing and not a curse. So you then return that again. You do the exact same thing. I have been forgiven for my my attrition against the only one who was perfect. So when you do something wrong against me, I'm not perfect, so surely I can forgive you. And then verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. This this is hard. It's commonly said, but it's difficult. It's difficult to be able to experience your full self and be able to step in 100% to both times of highs and times of low. But we're called to do that because that's what God's done for us. Amen? Amen. God's very present, incredibly present, and always with you whenever things are phenomenal. When things are so good, you're like, this is it. This is what heaven's going to look like. And he's there. But he's also there with you when times are terrible and it seems like there's no way out. You're at your lowest low. You're looking around. You feel lonely and isolated. You feel like there's no way out. God is with you there. So then we as Christians have to be willing to go there. We rejoice with those who rejoice even if it costs us that same promotion. And we weep with those who weep even if by that happening something good happens to us. Because it's not about us. We're stepping in in the same way that God is present with us who rejoices with those who rejoice and weeps with those who weep. Earlier I talked about my friend Caleb. I want to bring him back up. Teammate. Sophomore starting middle linebacker, stud on the football field, right? Um, So Caleb, two years younger than me, after I graduated high school, you know, like I said, we were acquaintances, right? Didn't really, didn't talk to him any. But I was in Lubbock where I was going to school, which is two and a half hours northwest, for y'all, northwest of Abilene. And I got a call one day. I said, did you hear about Caleb? And I said, Caleb who? They said, Caleb, and I'll say his last name. And I was like, okay, no, I didn't hear about him. They said, well, Caleb was shot and killed yesterday, right? Caleb lived a rough life, right? And I was, was, but I was confused. Why are you telling me? Why are you telling the backup defensive end slash starting tail end back? Like, why am I being, getting this phone call? And his teammate said, Campbell, you've got to be there. Baffling. Baffling, all because I used my gifts in high school the best way I knew how. I got the opportunity to drive two and a half hours down and hug these guys to weep with those who weep and be a voice of some sort of hope with these guys who aren't Christians looking around like, what are we going to do? I can't tell you what I said in that day or in that moment. I truly don't remember But getting that call was indicative of how I was using my gifts. And I don't say this to talk about me. I want you to recognize that when you use use your gifts, even if it seems in a way 
that's unbeneficial to what's going on around you. It can have profound effects for the kingdom and for the body of Christ. So don't tell me that being on the football team because I was unathletic and undersized was a waste of time. I reject that in the name of Christ. (laughs) Exercise your gifts in genuine love so that the people around you can experience the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The complexity of verse 15 is found most profoundly in the cross. What do you see when you look at the cross? Do you see the cruelness of sin? Do you see your culpability and your role and how you're part part of this equation for why the Son of God had to die such a cruel and ugly and rough death? Do you see that? Or maybe when you look at the cross, the first thing you see is the beauty of forgiveness. A savior willing to die for you exactly as you are and call you into his righteousness. Both of those are true. In the cross, we are told to rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep because the cross brings tears both of excitement and just bewilderment of how loved we are and also sadness because that was Jesus, right? The human being who's loved you more than any other human being ever going through the worst thing ever. In the cross, we see the greatest sin that man has ever done and the greatest amount of grace and love you will ever experience. Verse 15 is found profoundly in the cross. So we're gonna sing a song here in a second called New Wine. And I want you during this time to center yourself because we're gonna take communion after this. I want you to center yourself horizontally. I want you to look around the room during the song. You have to do it right now. But during this song and during this time, look around horizontally. Recognize your place within this body. See the people here who love you. See the people here who are on the same team as you, who are going through the same things as you, who are also sacrificing a lot for the sake of the same Messiah and the same God. But I also want you to connect yourself vertically. Recognize your spot as a charismatic as one who has received the grace of God and is now expressing that joy right back out to the world. Recognize that you are a child of God and that Jesus went through all of that for you exactly as you are. You are not hard to love. He rejoices in loving you. He likes you so much that he loves you.